Good morning. It's so good to be with, with each and every one of you this morning. Uh, especially thankful for the, the attendance of our visitors that are here with us. It's always a, a great encouragement to, to have you uh, here, and, and we can't express enough how much we are thankful for your attendance and how you are uh, truly our honored guests. We hope that we have an opportunity to spend a little bit more time after services meeting with you and getting to know you. Uh, one of the things that we strive to do here at the Lake Street Church of Christ is to uh, live lives that, that glorify and honor God and to strive to help other people to do that. And, and in the process of that, we, we look to God's Word. We look to what He has recorded for us and the things that He has to say uh, that tells us how to do that. And as we do that, there, there are certain phrases that, that come to mind, phrases that bring great joy, phrases that, that bring, bring bliss, but there are also phrases that bring sadness and grief. And we're going to spend some time this morning looking at these, these uh, phrases and how they, how they relate to us today. Uh, the Bible contains a long list of sad phrases. And, and like I said, these phrases are oftentimes connected with grief, but I, grief, but I hope that as we study through these, uh, we will likewise connect with that grief. And in doing so, we will draw ourselves closer to the one which can overcome. So let's take a, just a moment to look at some of these phrases. Turn over to the book of Acts for a minute. <clears throat> to the book of Acts. And, and as I said on, on Wednesday night, I've... I have really, really struggled with, with this earache and, and uh, infection that, that went along with it. So I apologize for not having more of these verses up on the PowerPoint today. Uh, but I just did the best I could. So to please bear with me on, in, in that regard. Acts chapter 17, and look in verse 32. Verse 32 we read, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. That's the first sad phrase that we want to look at. Uh, this, this morning. Some mocked. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Now what's going on here in Acts chapter 17 is Paul is, is <clears throat> on one of his missionary journeys and he has gone into Athens as he has told the, uh, the, the men of Athens that, uh, about the Lord and he, he has been invited, had this opportunity given to him to go before the men of Athens and speak at the Areopagus. So he is given this great floor in which he is able to address the, the, the people of the city of Athens that would hear him. And as he was on his way there, he noticed all of these altars and these temples and these shrines, all these things built up for all these various gods, Greek gods, Roman gods, all of these different ones. And then he noticed the one made to the unknown God. It's almost as if these, these men of Athens had thought we are going to be so religious that just in case we, we missed one, we will create a, an altar that that's just goes to make all the gods that we don't know about happy. And that's the platform that, that Paul approaches what he says in Acts chapter 17. He says, I, I, I see that you're a religious people. And this God that you worship, this unknown God, let me introduce you to him. And he introduces him as the one true God. He says he is a God that, that doesn't live in temples made with, with men's hands. He doesn't need an altar uh, from which for them to serve him from that is made by men's hands. And as he goes on telling them about this one God, he gets over to verse 30 and he says, Now there was a time when God overlooked these ignorances. And he doesn't use that word as, a, as an insult, but as a, a, a way of saying men who, who hadn't learned these things yet. He says there's a time that God overlooked that, but not anymore. In today's world, God demands, He commands all men to repent. 
Because, in verse 31, He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. And He has given assurance, or He has proven that man. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. That is the reason they mocked. Raised from the dead. As if anybody could possibly believe in such an impossible thing happening. But yet it did. And, and, and it is sad when, when we read this phrase, because how many things are tied, how many things are connected to the resurrection. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, we see that the resurrection proclaims Jesus. Romans chapter 1, and verse 4, says, "...and declared to be the Son of God with power..." according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So by, by mocking, by, by refusing to believe or making fun of the resurrection of the dead, these people and people still today, they, they discredit or discount the declaration, the divine declaration of the identity of Christ. But they also discount the, the importance of baptism. Turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, we read this. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Now to understand what he's about to talk about, we, we should look back just a little bit. Uh, start reading in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins and just for the un the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to, to death in the flesh, being made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. That is what is called a type. That is, it is a reflection of the true. When the, when the souls, uh, Noah's family, when they were saved through water by the ark, that is a reflection of the true which is to come. And that's what he says here when he says there is also an anti-type. If there is a type, there must be, if there is a reflection, there must be the true. And what is that true that now saves us today? What is that anti-type that now saves us today? It is baptism. Note he says, not in the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience to, towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, many people today see baptism as a work. We cannot possibly be saved by baptism because baptism is a work of man and we know that we are not saved by our works. So, so how can that possibly be something that saves us? But when we do that, when we see and view baptism as a work of man, we fail to see the link that Peter talks about here in the connection between baptism and the grace and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ through the resurrection. See, 1 Peter 3.21 tells us baptism saves us not through the properties of the water, not because, we, not because we got wet, not because we were completely immersed. Baptism saves us through the properties of the resurrection. And so when we mock the resurrection, why would we ever, why would we ever be baptized? Why would we ever be prompted to follow the, the instructions that God has given us to be saved because we don't believe in the power of the resurrection to begin with? After all, getting wet is the only thing that, that would, would occur if Christ was never resurrected from the dead. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, 
It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the, re- from the, from the dead. By the resurrection, we are begotten. We are born again to a hope, a living hope, a hope that is, that is thriving and that is growing. And so it is so sad. It is so hard to hear people mock the resurrection because they aren't likely to ever draw any closer than that to God. That is the point to which they will almost stop until they can finally realize, until they can finally open their minds uh, and open their hearts and see the power that lies within the resurrection. Truly a sad phrase, some mocked. Another sad phrase that we want to read about is found over in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. And Jeremiah 6, 16 says, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Jeremiah was God's prophet to the, the, the nation of Judah. And he pleaded for God's people there to walk in those old paths. To once again walk in the ways in which God had called them. But like so many today, their answer was no. No, that is not the way we will walk. And they did that through their actions. Now today, God's people are likewise called to walk in His paths. In Romans chapter 6 Verse 4, listen to what it says there. It says, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death. I think this might have been the passage we were looking for in, in our Bible class, and I, I had it written down in my, in my sermon. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We are called to walk in newness of life. And that is that through our baptism, we are to be made dead to sin. Just the same as Christ was made dead. And, and to the same extent that Christ was made dead. Christ was not just, just sort of dead. He was, you know, the, the, the belief sometime was that, oh, oh Christ didn't actually, didn't actually die. He just appeared that way. No, Christ fully came as man and He fully died as man. And to that same extent, we are, to made, dead, we are made dead to sin through baptism. And being devoted to Him by that baptism, we are then to rise Just as He was fully arisen from the dead, we are to arise to a new life, a life hidden in Him, leaving leaving sin behind. So we are to walk in that newness of life, that life hidden in Him. 1 John 1, verse 7 goes on to say, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. So we are to walk also in the light. We are to walk in the holiness, in the purity, in the truth of God, and recognizing that the measurement of our light is certainly not comparable to God. We're certainly not saying that we are to walk in such a way that our light is, 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 as, is as great as God's light. It is not the same measurement, but it is of the same kind. It is His light reflecting through us. And we are to walk in that light. And Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 tells us we are to walk in love. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We must let every act, 
every, every, every circumstance of our life just pour out love from our lives. We talked about this last Sunday when we talked about the, the relationship that we have as, as parents to our children. And when they are to see that, they are to see in our actions, in our words, that, that love flows out of us. Love for God. We are to love Him with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. And also love for our neighbor. Love for those around us. We are to walk in that love. And that is to be, to be reflecting in our lives and so it is truly sad when people today, as they did in the days of Jeremiah, say, no, we will not walk in that path. Another phrase that we want to look at is found in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25 and verse 10. Here it says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in, and with, uh, went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. The door was shut. Now, when we read about, we read about that, maybe, maybe our minds drift back a little bit further than Matthew. Maybe we go back to the book of Genesis. Truly, it was a sad day on the earth when God shut the door to the ark. Genesis 7 records to us that God had sent a flood. And if we looked back, we would see that He had sent a flood because the world was full of wickedness. In fact, there was only one man on the earth that God found to be righteous, and that was Noah. And so He commanded Noah to build an ark. And all those who went onto the ark with Noah were saved. We've read about them in 1 Peter. Eight souls, Noah, his family. But all those who remained... After that door was shut, they perished. They died. And that doesn't seem fair to us. In fact, that has led so many people, as they read about the, the, the quote-unquote God of the Old Testament, they, they say, well, that was a God of, of, of anger and, and of, of maliciousness, and He was genocidal, and He was a murderer. But then we read passages like 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Let's start in verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them to the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. In verse 6, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the world for that righteous man, Dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day, being seen, uh, by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. We read in that passage that there is, there is a certain doom for, for the wicked. But notice especially in verse 5, that he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. You know, this makes Noah the first ever recorded preacher in the Bible. And what was it that Noah said? What was it that Noah, Noah was doing? Well, that's, that's just not recorded for us anywhere in the Scriptures. But we can know this, that by his actions, his obedience to God, his building the ark, something that, that everyone around would have seen, and yes, I believe by his words, he was proclaiming the righteousness of God to a people who refused to listen until it was too late. 
until God shut those mighty doors of the ark, until the floods came. Relating that back now to Matthew 25 and the parable of the ten virgins, we read of these ten virgins. They all had the same start. They said, read those ten virgins. We find that they all had lamps with oil. Every one of them were in the same position. But five of them uh, failed to stay in that position, to stay ready. Because those who were ready when the bridegroom came, when that call was given that the bridegroom was approaching and they awoke, and the five started to trim their lamps, and the other five said, we've, we've run out of oil. Give us some of yours. And they said, we can't give you some of ours. Because if we were to do that, then we wouldn't have oil. You need to go buy your own. Well, when the bridegroom arrived, he took those who were ready, and they entered in with him. But those who were unprepared, those who had, had been forced to leave because they had not prepared themselves to buy more oil, they were left shut out. And so again, it is sad. It is sad Then and sad today when men, unprepared to meet God, die. And that door, once shut, is not to be opened again. Another one that we hear in Matthew chapter 25, we'll scoot on down a little bit to verse 41. It says, Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23 reads this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In fact, if we were to scoot back a little bit in Matthew 25 and, and read about the parable of the talents. We would read at the end of that in verse 30, what was said to that worthless slave who failed to use his talents. Didn't lose it, just failed to use it. And he was told to be thrown out into outer darkness. Verse 41 speaks of those who are unloving and tells them to depart and be cast into everlasting fire. Matthew 7 speaks of those who failed to obey the Lord saying, I never knew you. And then we read in verse 46 of Matthew 25, And these, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians for a second as we, as we keep our minds on this. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 says, And to give you who were troubled, and to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. I want us to notice who's being discussed here in this passage. Those who do not know God, those who do not obey our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished. And you know what? There is an awesomeness here in this passage. And too often today, that word awesome gets gets applied to some of the most trivial things that we have lost the true meaning of the word awesome. Whenever those bombs were dropped on Japan, when we saw the devastation that was done to Hiroshima, that is truly a time when you could look and say there was an awesomeness there. Not because it was great, Not because it was wonderful, because it was awe-inspiring. It brought us to a place of wonder and bewilderment that we couldn't, we just couldn't understand how something could be that destructive. 
Well, there is an awesomeness in this passage, in the, in the terror that is in this passage. Because it talks here of a punishment for those who deserve punishment. But then in the same sentence, it talks about rest for those who do not deserve rest. And yet, they are both right. Not because of the things that have been done in the flesh, but because they are given by the righteousness of the Lord. It is a truly sad thing, then, for the world to hear, for a man to hear, depart from me. And lastly, I want to look over in Acts. Acts chapter 26. <clears throat> Again, we will look at Paul and his life. In Acts chapter 26, he is standing before King Agrippa. And in verse 28, Agrippa says to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. You see, Paul has been permitted here to make a defense of why he is in custody before King Agrippa and, and to Festus. And so in, in, in all actuality, he is really making a defense as to why he is a follower of Christ, why he is a Christian, for that is the reason he is in custody. And so he tells Agrippa and he tells Festus about his former life. He tells them, I was a Pharisee. I was a great Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And I, was, I used to go and I used to arrest people who, who were of this way and even voted to have them killed. And then he tells them how Jesus spoke to him on the road to Damascus and how he had taken everything that he had once held to, everything that had been important to him his whole life and put that behind him to follow Christ. Now, now notice in verse 24, Verse 24, after he had said this, uh, Festus says with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. He had just mentioned the resurrection of Christ when Festus says these words. And again, how sad this is. How sad it is that this, this is the response so often that people have to the resurrection. But note Paul's response then. Verse 25, he says... I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, that is Agrippa, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. I am, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. What that tells us is that Agrippa was a believer. Agrippa knew he knew what the Scriptures, what the Old Testament, that is what they had at that day. He knew what it said about the coming of the Messiah. He knew what the prophets had pointed towards. And he also knew about Paul. Paul wasn't some sort of uh, anomaly. He wasn't something that just kind of happened uh, in, a, in a very quiet space. This, the, the work that Paul was doing was literally echoing and, and reverberating out around the, the, the nation and, and all of Rome, people in the known world knew about Paul. And so a, a man in the position of King Agrippa knew that Paul was this man who had studied under Gamaliel. He was this, this great Pharisee. He was the champion of the Pharisees, being raised up as, as the protege. And yet he gave up all of that. He gave up everything so he could follow, in the eyes of the world, the dead leader of this new way. And now 
And now he stands before Agrippa saying, that is true, but the leader is not dead. He is reigning, he is king, and yes, I follow him. And Agrippa sees the, the testimony, he hears that which Paul has preached to him, and still, yet only, Agrippa almost becomes a Christian. How sad. How sad that we never read of another opportunity that Agrippa gets. I hope and pray that that was, that was made available to him and, and would like to believe that someday in the future that he, he maybe, maybe pressed on with that. But we never read in Scripture of him receiving another opportunity to obey the Lord. And yet these sad words are still uttered each and every day in the actions of many today. Almost would I become a Christian, except something, something continues to hold me back. Some, something that I'm not ready to give up. Some sin that I, that I just feel like I must hold on to. Or maybe this thought that I'm, I'm just too, I'm too wicked. I've done too many bad things. God wouldn't want me. None of these sayings have to be true. We don't have to be almost persuaded today. Because these, these sad conditions don't have to be. We can believe in the power of the resurrection. And we can choose to walk in those old ways in which God has called us to walk. We can choose to enter in before the door is shut. And we don't have to hear. We don't have to hear, depart from me. We don't have to be almost persuaded. You can change these sad sayings recorded in the Bible into sayings of joy and of bliss. And you do so by obeying the gospel of Christ. His good news is this, that yes, at one point, at one point, all men are separated from God by their sins. The sins that they have committed in this world put us as far from Him as we can be. But Christ came into this earth, became human, and He died so that we could have a hope, so that we could be forgiven of those sins. And by obedience to that gospel, to the things which He calls us to be, we can be made clean, we can have our lives hidden in Him today. If that would be your desire, it is our desire as well to make all men and women, all creatures of this earth, and to be followers of Him. If you have that opportunity right now, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.